Hello, everyone. We will begin today's webinar in a couple of minutes. Welcome to today's Safety and Health webcast, Taking on the Fatal Four, How Your Compliance Program Can Improve Safety with Inspections, sponsored by Cordy. This is Alan Ferguson, Associate Editor at Safety and Health Magazine, and I am moderating today's session. Thank you all for joining us. We're going to start the presentation in a couple minutes, but first I want to go over some preliminary items. The views of today's speaker and organizations are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the National Safety Council or Safety and Health Magazine. Any mention of a commercial enterprise, product, or publication does not mean the council or magazine endorses those items. At the end of today's webcast, we will conduct a question and answer session. To ask a question, simply type it in the text box in the lower left-hand corner of your screen and click the button for Submit Question. Feel free to ask your question at any time during the presentation. You don't have to wait for the Q&A to begin. We'll try to answer as many questions as possible, but because of the large number of participants today, we might not get to every question. Any unanswered questions will be forwarded to today's speakers. At the end of the webcast, you'll be asked to complete a brief evaluation survey. I will let you know more about that after the presentation. This webcast is archived. So you can access it after today's live events. To view this webcast and all of our past webcasts, go to safetyandhealthmagazine.com slash events. Finally, if you need basic troubleshooting information, click the Help button located on your screen. With that, let's go ahead and get started. Our speakers today are Malia Azar, a legal specialist at RegScan whose focus is on environmental health and safety research for European jurisdictions and the creation of safety inspection checklist. She also has experience in developing training programs. Also joining us today is Pamela Bobbitt, Director of Product Marketing and Channels at Cordy. 
Pamela has more than 15 years of experience as an EHS professional in the automotive, chemical, and pharmaceutical industries. Speakers, whenever you're ready, go ahead and take it away. Uh, thank you, Alan, and thank you, everyone, for joining us today. Just to kind of level set what we're going to go through today um, for our agenda, we're just going to start off talking about the basic elements of a safety program, just kind of level setting, what does this look like, what are the industry best practices. And then based off of that, some of the research that we've done to show that what um, organizations are focusing on with that incident prevention, you know, what goes into that, um, how your safety program plays into it, and then moving into the elements of a good compliance program, including checklists that can really focus in back on when we talk about that incident prevention, that fatal four that OSHA has come out with with the construction industry. Um, talk about how the inspection checklists support the six pillars of compliance, and then looping it back around, kind of closing that loop in an kind of ISO concept and bringing it all together and showing how this ties into your um, overall safety culture, uh, improving and addressing the things that are going on in the industry with technology and how that can help you, you know, prevent uh, these incidents um, from occurring. So with that, let's get started on the basics of a safety program. Now, you know, this has different needs and scope and specific elements required, you know, based off of the industry, based off of geography, but really, you know, people say that there are basically six elements to a good safety management system. It includes that safety plan, what you're going to do, how are you going to address everything that you are supposed to do, and what are you going to do to ensure that you do the things that you're going to do, such as following, you know, regulations, policies, procedures, and your processes, right? Um, so that training um, and induction, you know, how do you get the people trained, you know, making sure that they have the tools that they need in order to do that job, monitoring. Now, monitoring can take on some different elements, right? So monitoring could be those checklists that you're doing, doing those inspections. I know that in manufacturing organizations, you know, the average worker does about five inspections a day. This is all based around your safety management systems. It could be the reporting of things that when they don't go right, such as incidents, um, abnormalities, in investigating those accidents and incidents, having emergency procedures in place and addressing those, your medical first aid, um, and promoting health and safety within the workplace itself. We've seen a lot of that, of looking at worker well-being and, and looking at the programs that look at employees not just in their day-to-day -day work life, but how their, you know, work-life balance and their life outside of work um, helps and promotes and impacts what they do at work. And then um, looking at number five and six, you know, supervising the, the way that workers are doing, making sure that they are um, understanding and have that guidance to, to, to do the things that they're supposed to be doing and reporting to make sure, 
you are have a level set of what those things that you're doing relate to your program. So again, those six basic elements of a safety program, kind of summing it all up as having that safety plan, this policies and procedures, you're doing training and induction, monitoring, all that encompasses that monitoring, having right supervision, and then reporting those elements, making sure that they are uh, moving forward. Now, we've done a lot of research here, and let's talk about the next piece of that, tying that safety program. Well, once you have the safety program, what is it that uh, EHS professionals, you know, especially health and safety professionals are looking at? And what are they spending their time on? So this is a really great, we did a survey, both um, a, you know, email survey through different social media and also webinars that we've done before to capture this information and tie it all together. And you can see that a lot of people are focusing on that incident prevention. How do we prevent those um, incidents from happening? And how does that tie back into your um, safety program. So, for instance, if we're spending a lot of time on incident prevention, you want to use all the information that you're getting from the um, monitoring that you're doing, which can include those checklists. So if we want to think about and focus in on um, incident prevention, what are some of the things, um, those top incidents and injuries that uh, we want to focus in on today? So. I'm sure everyone has seen this, um, you know, construction sites are one of the most dangerous places um, in the country, across the world, because there's so many activities that are going on, right? There's a dynamic element to it, and the fatal injury rate for construction is higher than the national average in the U.S., and in 2016, um, based off some of the data, um, 991 of the 4,693 worker fatalities that occurred were in construction. So OSHA has determined that there are four main safety hazards responsible for majority of these um, worker deaths on construction sites, and they've dubbed them the fatal four. I'm sure most of you have heard about this, right? So they include the falls um, caught between objects, electrocutions, and struck by objects. The fatal four, if you look about that and do the investigations and that root cause, they were responsible for 63.7% of construction worker deaths. You know, falls are the leading cause of construction worker deaths, and they accounted for 384 of the 991 construction fatalities in 2016. So today we look at fall hazards um, in the first um, part uh, of this because you want to identify hazards, right? So fall hazard injuries are, are most common. So how do you identify, right, what is happening? So some of the main causes for this are unprotected edges and openings, improper scaffolding um, as well, improper ladder use. Well, some of these things are part of, as we know as, as safety professionals, those daily inspections that we're going along and, and conducting, you know, asking the questions, you know, is the, the ladder in the proper place? Do you have um, proper uh, railing in these areas? 
and being able to identify those. So what we're going to do now is be able to go in and tie these regulations and how you can turn them in to inspections and then how that is going to drive your ability to prevent these incidents. And one of the key things, not only, of course, do we want to secure and make sure that our um, employees are going home safely, but there is new um, government regulatory compliance around this and increasing the penalties uh, related to these activities. So, um, you know, OSHA's violations have increased 78% for the first time in over 20 years, and the penalties increased um, you know, going up to $129,336 in the U.S. Right? In addition to OSHA violation and penalties, job site safety can impact the business's bottom line in terms of cost for worker injuries and illnesses. So OSHA reports that the estimated um, statistic that employers spend nearly a billion dollars a week on workers' compensation costs. So, you know, looking out for the most common types of OSHA safety violations in your organization is not only going to um, help prevent those incidents that we as safety professionals are focused mostly on, as we saw in that first slide, but it's also going to help you contribute to the bottom line of your organization. Right? So, before we close that loop and we'll come back to this. I want to hand it over to Malia who's going to talk about, you know, what uh, is the elements of a good compliance program. So Malia, take it away. Thank you, Pam. Um, so the first thing that I'm uh, going to do is to just give a quick overview of RegScan um, and the work that we do. So RegScan has been around for over 30 years, uh, publishing regulatory content in an electronic format. Our core competencies are environment, health, and safety, but we do branch out um, into other fields uh, like quality, food and drug, or other spaces um, as necessary based on our client needs. We have been the premier publisher of regulatory content in this space, and we work with clients around the globe. So in this discussion, I am going to take you through what makes a compliance program successful and the different components that work together to drive success and demonstrate compliance. So let's start thinking of the compliance program as a journey. So this is similar to the safety maturity journey. Um, where in safety, you can start from a kind of vulnerable and reactive, and then you progress through the levels implementing different tools and processes uh, to get to this proactive and resilient space. And every site is at a different stage in their journey. So in compliance, we start off thinking of that journey as basic compliance program implementation, and we work towards advanced program implementation. Um, so for this discussion, instead of uh, steps along the journey, we're going to discuss the pillars of compliance. So here you can see we have a little house of compliance, and um, we're going to look at the structural supports in the building, those little blue boxes, um, and we're going to call them the pillars or the components of the program. We are also going to take a look at how these pillars or components 
split into implementation versus verification, where um, some of the components of the program you must have in place as the basis of the program, and then you'll have employee participation as part of those components, and where the other components of the program are checkpoints in time. And as we go through, we're also going to discuss a little bit about the form and function of each of these components and how these things might look as an end state. So the first of the six pillars or the components that we are going to take a look at is the legal register. The legal register is really the starting point to any compliance program. It's an essential pillar because all sites have some form of legislation that they need to comply with. These can be acts, laws, regulations, directives, decrees, orders, or really anything that's published by the government that you have to comply with. These can be national, regional, or even local. But the one thing that separates the legal register from the other parts of your compliance program is that it's specifically and only created and managed by the government. These laws can have wide-reaching applicability or may only apply to a specific industry or product that's manufactured. These registers are um, often aligned by risks that the facility carries as well. Additionally, legal registers are a core component of certification processes like OSAS 18001 or ISO 45001. At RegScan, we have a team of international lawyers um, that continually research various countries and jurisdictions around the world to ensure that we're bringing our clients the most up-to-date legal register content. So we work with in-country resources um, to make sure that we're finding all of the laws that may apply to our clients. And we also have an ongoing maintenance process, so we're constantly looking to ensure that we have the most current content available. We call our data the RegScan Legal Register. Our core competency is environment, health, and safety. So while we may not always have every law for a given country in our current database, but um, with our team of internal experts and um, their wide variety of backgrounds, we're able to research and build out any content across the globe for our clients as needed. So typically the end user is going to look at the Rexian Legal Register of content, and they're going to select which laws apply to them. And then they can build this out according to their needs and then receive alerts when regulations change. So this legal register is the first pillar in our hassle compliance, and this is what should be in place first on this compliance journey. And it's also considered one of the implementation pillars. So the second pillar that we are going to take a look at is requirements or obligations. Requirements are the things that sites and businesses actually need to comply with. They come from a few different places, including the legal register, governmental permits, which may be applied to activities at the sites, and even business expectations. The requirements that come from the legal register permits are considered regulatory requirements. These are the articles or sections of the laws that typically state shall or must. So for example, the site shall ensure that fire extinguishers are inspected on a monthly basis, or um, as you can see in this example on screen, employers must inform employees. Permit requirements are those regulatory requirements that are based on your site's activities. These sometimes include the same requirements 
from uh, the legal register referencing laws and in some cases go above and beyond the legal register and may include additional requirements at a federal or state requirement level. The business expectations are non-regulatory requirements which come from business policies or expectations and programs. So depending on your organization's compliance maturity, you may have many different business requirements or you may have none. RecScan supports um, their clients with the regulatory requirements which come from the legal register and then the requirements that come from business expectations are typically managed separately. Our team of uh, legal and environmental health and safety professionals actually take a look at the laws in detail and then research what's out there and then break down the articles and clauses of the laws into these requirements that we just took a look at. And the last piece is that we have an applicability process built into our system and this allows and supports clients in determining which regulatory requirements align with their risks. And this can be completed by looking at different topics or subtopics or even at key questions to understand what the risks are at a facility. A quick note um, is that a group practice when you have permits in place as well is to take a look at your basic legal requirements and then compare that to permit, permit requirements and then you can remove any potential duplicates. So these requirements and obligations are another implementation pillar that a site would implement or put into place in order to demonstrate compliance. So you have your legal register, you have your requirements, we should be set, we have a good program, right? Um, well, while two pillars is a good starting point and it can definitely help support the building, and these components of a legal register and a list of requirements are really good for your environmental health and safety team. But how do you involve your employees? Compliance should be managed or owned at all levels of your organization. Remember that old safety slogan, safety begins with me? Well, compliance is the same way. Compliance should have business-wide ownership. Then you are on the path to success. So let's think about the shop floor employees or the field service workers, people who are doing the day-to-day -day jobs for the organization. What does this legal register mean to them and how do you get them involved? The answer is tasks. So tasks are the common language to do's of the environmental health and safety program. Your employers are probably already doing them as part of their daily work or as part of the safety program and environmental program. And we can see the example here is subject fire extinguishers to the annual maintenance truck. But how amazing would it be if you were starting out a brand new program at a site, whether it was newly built or newly acquired? Or even for um, you well-established businesses, what if your tasks were predetermined based on applicability and tied into regulatory changes? How amazing would that be? If tasks were pre-built, time-bound and tied into automatic updates and provided to you via an applicability basis, it really takes the guesswork out of implementing your compliance program and it would provide another metric that demonstrates compliance. And we all know that corporate loves their metrics. Also think about the accountability and consistency that you could drive throughout your organization when you have these tasks in place. And also not to mention how efficient that would be. So 
Redskins experts are also building these tasks out. So we're kind of getting one step closer to that easy button. So this is also an implementation pillar. This is our third implementation pillar. Um, so now that the employees have uh, their tasks predefined and they're updated when the regulations change, they should be all set, all done, right? It looks like we've already gotten so much work accomplished. Well, not so fast. So since they know that they have to do a fire extinguisher inspection or an eyewash station inspection, and that they have to complete it on a regular basis, but how? What do they need to inspect? Why? Which form should they use? Well, this is where uh, RegScan compliance inspections come into place. Um, through these inspection checklists, we provide a predefined list of inspection items that are based on regulations, standards, manufacturer requirements, and also good practices. Um, and in these checklists that we create, we, we include ANSI standards or best business practices. Um, and we create checklists that range from things like eyewash stations to fire extinguishers, all the way through different types of machine guarding. So really trying to provide any content that the client needs. So these inspection checklists create our fourth pillar to what we would call a successful compliance program. Um, because these inspections are tied to those initial legal registers that we talked about, and since they're updated when they're affected by a regulatory update, we can see that the client will just continue to get happier as the discussion goes on, and we're just continuing to build out content that they can get from one place and that they can utilize in their business. So this wraps up the first uh, implementation section of the compliance program. We talked about the legal registers, the requirements, tasks, and inspections. Um, and now I am going to walk us through the verification section. So the first four pillars are going to give you a great compliance program. Um, it'll give you consistency throughout your sites. It'll give you employee level accountability and also the ability to provide transparency to a regulator or even the board of directors, but there is more. So the next two pillars reside in the verification section of your compliance program. Let's face it, what is left to implement? Well, verification is the piece of the program that demonstrates that the organization means business when implementing their compliance program. This is the next level in demonstrating compliance. It's the audit section. So the verification or audit section um, that we are going to discuss now includes things like audit questions, auditor guidance, standardized findings, and standardized corrective actions. So here is pillar five. This is our audit questions and our guide notes. And yes, these are two pieces of content that RegScan produces in one pillar. The reason is because they actually go hand in hand so it's much easier to understand um, the audit question when you have a little bit of guidance or context that goes with it. So the audit content goes back to the beginning and takes a look at all of the requirements that the business or the site um, has deemed applicable, jump back to a few thousand feet and said, what do we need to verify here? So this gives a point in time check to the auditor um, with potentially multiple requirements covered in the guidance. Um, there's always links back in our RegScan content to individual regulatory requirements and legal text. So in the example, we have an audit question about uh, the topic that we've been following so far with guidance of what to verify when auditing. So has the inspection, maintenance, and testing of portable fire extinguishers been completed? 
And the guidance that we provide, uh, it gives the auditor items to check. So verify this and verify that statement. At RegSAN, we generally provide all of this content based on the legal registers and legal requirements, but we also are able to build into this content and customize it based on the needs of a client. So remember those business expectations that we talked about a little bit earlier. Well, sometimes clients like to build their programs around these legal topics and have some specific best practices or business expectations built in as well. And we are actually able to do that within our audit content module and then deliver that to you as a package. So last but not least is our pillar six. This is our standardized findings and corrective actions. So you might be thinking, my site is different. You can't define what my findings should be and you definitely cannot define my corrective actions. Well, just stay with me. When thinking about regulatory compliance requirements, they all stem from the same place, the regulations. The same regulations that the legal register, requirements, tasks, inspection lists were built from. We're all looking at the same base structure for all the pieces of the compliance program. And yes, there might be a few of you who may be different, whether you have a different process or a different product, but essentially we're all working towards the same goal based on the same content. So for this conversation, I am going to follow along with our theme on uh, fire extinguishers that we talked about. So imagine that you've completed the implementation uh, phase of your compliance program. That was your pillars one through four. And corporate is here to help. And wouldn't you know it, one of the fire extinguishers is missing or blocked or damaged. Um, so these things may be a little bit more consistent um, than what you realize because from industry to industry, a blocked fire extinguisher is a blocked fire extinguisher. Okay, so maybe you give in on the consistent findings, but corrective actions can be consistent too. My management is different. They want it written differently. So how can I convince you that your corrective action should also be consistent? Well, if you have a finding a fire extinguisher is blocked, your starting corrective action should be ensure that fire extinguisher is not blocked. So having pre-populated findings and corrective actions, it really um, creates consistent starting points for all of your sites. It's a great way to start. So let's take another step forward um, and think about mobile. So if you ever wanted to take a tablet or phone with you during your audit, wouldn't it be easier to utilize uh, predetermined findings and corrective actions provided in a drop-down list? Just think about the efficiency that this would provide. And for those corporate reports, the consistency from site to site and all aspects of your compliance program would be so easy to track and manage and view. So now that we have reviewed these pillars in detail, let's go uh, back to our little house of compliance that we were taking a look at earlier. So we have implemented pillars one through four, the legal register, the requirements, tasks, and inspections. And now we have verified with pillars five to six, the audit questions, guide notes, findings, and corrective actions. Well, congratulations, you have a compliance program. But our discussion is about a successful compliance program. So while you only needed six pillars for this program, you need a really strong base. And that strong base is the Environmental Health and Safety Management Information System. Information 
is power, but less in Excel, even in a Google Sheet, you're still missing the power of consolidated information, metrics, and dashboards. And then combining both regulatory content across six pillars with the power of a platform will ensure that you are on your way to a successful compliance program. So we've been talking a little bit about the value of this since, um, since we've uh, been in this discussion, but we are going to wrap this up and discuss in detail each of these values. The compliance program is more than one piece of information working on its own. It's the complete picture of compliance per location or region or company. So the questions that you have to ask yourself include, how do I know we are in compliance? How do we demonstrate compliance? Can I rely on my current processes to confidently and easily provide evidence that we are in compliance? Now that you have the components in place to support your compliance program, there are many benefits to having one system manage all of your compliance data in one place. The first value that we are going to take a look at is consistency. You've heard me talk about consistency um, throughout this discussion. So think about these pillars or components across multiple sites, whether it's five sites in one state or 500 sites across the globe. Managing data, even in a Google Sheet, can be a nightmare. And reporting metrics or dashboards without a system or a platform, forget about it. So having consistency available through data in a system provides for streamlined data entry, data manipulation, and reporting. It's hard enough to get good data reported, but providing a consistent platform for that data capture allows for an apples-to-apples -apples comparison at the end of the day, month, or year. So data consistency goes a really long way in demonstrating compliance. The second value that we are going to take a look at is transparency. Transparency is an important value um, to allow for visibility in the compliance program so that any employee, no matter what the level, can see uh, where the business is, is in regards to compliance. Using a platform to manage your data allows for a clear view into all levels of your program. You can run reports, view metrics, and drill down to a specific compliance component at a site. The third value is accountability. A system is integral to accountability. Assigning compliance tasks, inspections, or audit findings to employees allows for accountability of the compliance program at all levels of your organization. Imagine trying to track accountability without a platform. Imagine trying to implement tasks without being able to assign them to an owner and track the task to closure. What a nightmare. So accountability supports employee participation as part of the compliance program. And we've already talked about how important that really is. And the last item is having an end-to-end -end process. This is having all of your compliance data in one place, having a holistic process. I really believe that having an end-to-end -end compliance process is the best way to provide evidence that an organization is doing all that they can to comply. If there is ever a need to demonstrate that to the board or to whomever, the end-to-end -end process shows a good faith effort to comply. It's also easy to see where there might be future opportunities for improvement as well as when you're using a complete system. Well, that is the end of this discussion about successful compliance programs and its components. And I am now going to hand this over back to you, Pam, so we can just bring this all together and see how you can utilize all this to improve safety in your organization. Uh, thanks, Malia. So we're going to talk about how do we tie all of this together? 
we talked about the six, you know, elements of a great safety management program, what that consisted of. We talked about how as a group, we focus in a lot of our energies on that incident um, prevention as well. So not just for the fact of, you know, making sure that our employees are coming home safely, but also that's, you know, any unplanned event and the cost overall to our organization. Malia took us through how that compliance program and breaking it out can drive that great safety management system. You know, some of the key things that we um, talk about is, you know, the checklist and the accountability, kind of breaking down those laws, policies, and procedures. Um, those standards are out there, as Malia mentioned, like ANSI and ISO uh, standards uh, are out there because they are sort of those industry practices on top of the regulation to help us identify the hazards in the workplace, right? So if you look at the fatal four, and thinking about falls and caught between objects and electrocutions and struck by objects, that's what we want to, if we want to prevent those, we need the ways to identify those hazards, those risks, and using this compliance activity and breaking it down to that kind of task level, that inspection level tied back will help us identify those hazards. Now, how does this all tie into improving our safety, um, you know, increasing our safety culture? Safety culture is one that's up most of mind of everybody, you know, and Malia kind of pointed out one of those key things. She's like, how do you involve your employees? Well, one of the key factors that everybody discusses when we discuss safety culture is the fact that we want, you know, employees want to feel a part of it. You have to make it personal to them. You have to bring it to them. You know, they, um, when you talk about rolling out programs, especially related to, you know, inspections, you know, they'll do an inspection and, you know, put down the observation. And their complaint a lot of times is, well, we do this, but we never see what's done about it, right? That feedback, that visibility that Malia talked about. And of course, you know, having that visibility gives people that sense of ownership, that sense of pride, and helping improve that safety culture. So putting together your safety program, having these elements, you know, identifying and linking these best practices with these checklists and giving the employees that access to it. There's a lot of corporate trends going on now. Malia kind of pointed out one of them with the mobility and these corporate trends, Industry 4.0, you'll hear a lot of these buzzwords. This is how you kind of tie in your safety management program to these elements. That interconnectivity, the employee is one of the biggest connections. They're your first line of defense. So having these great standard checklists that are tied to, you know, these standards and regulations help identify those risks and put into place those corrective actions, follow it through, and complete that, that cycle. So not only with the trends, 
you know, you want to connect those employees. So whether it's, you know, whatever type of mobile device that you want, they can have, as Malia said, that visibility. And that consistency of the checklist to the standards bring up another element of Industry 4.0 that's coming along the lines, and that is that predictive and prescriptive analytics. We've heard a lot of buzz about this, but one of the key elements to being able to do prediction and prescription. So, for instance, going back to that fatal four, if we want to identify, right, what's our risk of having, you know, a fall at a site or, you know, within a manufacturing, not just construction, but falls are one, slips, trips, and falls, as we know, as um, EHS professionals are, are always the top, no matter what industry. So if we want to focus in on, you know, how do we, you know, prevent those, right? What, how can we help predict where possibly our next slip, trip, and fall is most likely to occur? Well, to be able to use that type of predictive analytics, one of the key factors is you have to have consistency that Malia talked about, and you have to have those standards. So by utilizing these checklists, having your employees feel a part of it, increasing that safety culture, getting that data in, it's going to help drive that ability for you to make sense, look at the outliers of where these incidents may occur, so that then you can put in those um, corrective plans to avoid those incidents as the professionals, as the experts, then you can say, okay, I know that based off of, because we're doing all these inspections and they're tied to the regulations, we seem to have a trend around the fact that we uh, don't have consistency of, you know, stairwells or um, identification of, you know, the, of the short drops, which are typically the slip trips and falls, identifying that. What program can we put in across our organization to address those? And if we do that, then what impact would it have on our number of incidents? The other element is if, if you're not sure what could, do, you know, could cause that, then you can look at different you know, is it based off of certain geographies? Is it based off of certain types of uh, profiles with your employees? So again, having this data and standard and having everybody working together will allow you to use those data to put in programs to address those needs. So connecting the employees, not only giving them visibility, having that standard, an easy way for them to input that data, which allows you to have great standard data to do reporting, which is that sixth element of a basic safety program, to end results. And what we talk about that is around these, you know, value creation within our EHSQ inputs. So we're getting all this data in, in this case the inspections up at the top with those standards, and looking at the operational activities, and then how that drives to the bottom line of the organization. So it's a really great place to think about, you know, now everybody says, how do I get these standards? How they want to know best practices from the industry. Now we've brought it together, Rexian has brought it together for you to be able to be um, brought into that 
cohesive management system to get that feedback, increase your safety culture, give you the insight that you need in order to not just prevent those types of incidents, but get insight into help improving in that process improvement as part of that, you know, ISO program that most of us want to follow through with. And then not only is it going to you as a professional and your employees and improving your safety culture, it's really going to impact your business outcomes. You're going to ensure that you're in compliance because all of these standards are related right back to the regulations or the standards. So if you're having one of those, uh, you know, friendly regulatory visits, you're able to show the regulators, look, we have this. We're updating those regulations. Our inspections are tied to it. We get visibility to that. Our employees, our first line of defense are answering these. We're identifying these observations. We're putting in corrective actions. We're following through with those and look at our reporting. Our reporting will be able then to help us identify where we need to focus our efforts in, in order to prevent those incidents and especially address you know, um, the, the fatal four that OSHA has brought about. So with that, we're going to open it up now to questions and answers. Yes, that's correct. Uh, first, I want to say thank you to our speakers for their excellent insights and expertise. Uh, before we start the q and I want to remind everyone of the evaluation survey we're asking you to complete. The survey should be appearing on your screen now. Your input is important because it will help us improve our future webcasts. If you do not see the evaluation survey on your screen, please turn off your pop-up blocker. You may also access the survey by clicking the survey button near the lower right part of your screen. As a reminder to ask a question, you can type it into the text box in the lower left-hand corner. Okay, now let's get to some questions. Uh, first question, how do you recommend avoiding complacency in completing checklists? I'll take that one, Alan, to, to start with. Um, I think that's what we all face with. Uh, anytime you put out a program, um, especially with checklists and, and people answer yes or no, uh, you see it a lot of times with behavior-based safety programs. In this case, they're saying, okay, great, I'm going to complete this checklist, but so what? Right? So you have to, to avoid that complacency. I think you really have to as I mentioned, make it personal. You have to make them feel like their voice is heard. So, for instance, if they're doing the checklist and they, um, you know, Joe is checking out and he identifies something that it, he's like, oh, wow, you know, I'm top of mind and I'm going to put this observation in and submit that. Right? Then Joe doesn't know where that goes. Right? Is anything, if he doesn't get feedback, he's like, well, I made these observations. It was a really great observation, but I have no idea, one, if anybody read it. You know, two, if, if they did read it, was anything done about it? Like, I have no visibility, and I have no idea why I'm doing this anymore, so I'm not going to do it anymore. Right? That's kind of, I hope that's the question around the complacency. So the way to kind of address that, again, now that we have all of this new technology and, and there's all this digital transformation across industries that people are doing, it's important to give that feedback back, 
you know, however that works within your organization. There's lots of different ways. So, for instance, if they are using, you know, devices on a regular, you know, time frame, um, day-to-day, right, and they're inputting these checklists, if it's a shared device or whatever, then they should have either a way that they get a report, whether that's through um, their supervisor, on their safety walks and talks, but it should bring back to say, okay, you know, we did 26 inspections last week. Let me tell you, you guys found these elements. You know, three of them were addressed this way. Two of them, it was a really great catch. Give them that positive reinforcement. You know, two of them were really great. It's going into committee. We've got to have some, you know, resources allocated to that from a budgetary perspective. But if they find out that they're being heard and the fact that what they're doing makes an impact and makes a difference at some point, you'll avoid that complacency. So however that works, again, there's lots of different ways to do this, whether it's um, a lot of employees that are doing inspections don't have their own email address. So a lot of times they're, they're giving that kind of summary report to the supervisor. Make it part of that regular, you know, safety walker talk. If they do have emails, you know, give them visibility that every time that gets reviewed, they get a status update. When you do that, you'll see people more engaged and you'll see that they'll actually um, start to be a huge part of the program instead of, you know, oh, well, I'm doing it and it's just because I'm supposed to do it. They'll, they'll want to do it. Our next question, my company does not use mobile devices but has shared kiosks. How would this work? Um, yeah, so a lot of companies, you know, and again, mobile devices out there, um, it doesn't mean, you know, a lot of companies don't have their, you know, bring your own device. Some companies do, um, but they have the mobile kiosk. But there, again, there's a way where when you're using certain systems that you can give people a general login and give visibility so they could, um, you know, input uh, the, you know, report and observation, you know, related to that, that they want to report, oh, hey, I noticed that the um, handrail on this ladder was loose. You can have that where it's generic that they can put in that information and still go through that process. And again, giving them feedback, you know, maybe a basic dashboard that shows, oh, this is the number of observations that were, you know, supported. These were the number of actions that were taking place. But you can still do it the same way, just making sure that whatever technology that you're using has that way of a sort of general input screen and uh, an easy link that they can use on that shared kiosk. Our next question, what happens when regulations change? Are the checklists updated? I'll let Malia answer that one. I think she talked to it a little bit. Uh, yeah, sure. That is um, that is a really good question because, uh, I mean, regulations um, and um, these standards uh, that we actually include in our checklist, they actually are changing all the time, so it's important to keep track of, of these regulatory changes. And um, at Rickson, we actually have that um, the ability to track these and to 
um, you know, have this maintenance process ongoing to make sure that we are including the most current um, content. So, you know, if there are any changes to any ANSI standards or upcoming changes, you know, we keep track of those and use the most uh, recent ones. Um, the same for any federal regulations. Um, we keep an eye out for those and track any of the changes or updates that are uh, going on to make sure that we include the most uh, recent provisions in our checklists because that's what the checklists are based off of. Our next question, when sharing incident information, employees can drown, quote, quote um, under the amount of information, how do you create engagement that instead of needing to push information, they pull it themselves to improve relevance? I'll take a stab at that one. Um, so I'm so instead of uh, okay. So I guess it's how to optimize um, sharing that information so that. They don't, yeah, it's a fine line, right? So sharing but not sharing too much that they close their ears because they're like, not this again. Um, so, you know, there's a couple things, and every company is different that I've seen doing that. One is doing um, when you have your regular, which everybody does, um, a, a determined a time frame where they get everybody together. You know, putting together that um you know, summary report that gives them enough visibility. But I think what another key is, is that for those who want to dig a little bit deeper, providing them access to say, okay, here's a summary, and they know how to go if they want to look at something in particular, that they have access that they can go look at the details because it's important to them. So I think it's that summary and then providing whatever system that you use and technology is great right now in the industry, the off-the-shelf solutions, because you can tailor the user profiles um, that we call it in, on the technology side, the software side, those user profiles that they're able to see um, a lot of details. So what really works nowadays is if you've got those summary reports on a dashboard and they're drillable reports, um, which is great, again, with technology, you can drill down and see that information, so it provides the employees at high level, but then those who want to drill down into the specifics, they can drill down and look at the nitty-gritty details. So that's a nice way to say everybody gets the general information. For those who really want to, to dive in, they can. Um, that's one way of doing it, so providing it all over in summary and then knowing that the employees have a way that they could go in if they want to look at that specific information. So for our next question, uh, I have 13 locations. Uh, some safety committee members do their monthly inspection checklist, some don't. How do I get them to understand this is mandatory? You know, I send out emails reminding them, but they don't think they have the time, they think they have too many other things to do, and, and they don't understand the importance. I actually like this question because many of us on the call and have lived that and have seen that. Uh, one of the things that when we go out and I've talked to customers all over the globe, um, you know, it's hard to get people to buy in sometimes because they do. I'm too busy. This is just, and especially when they're on 
a safety committee because that may mean that they're not, you know, this is where EHS always has a hard time. A lot of people who provide data or do the activities related to our safety management program don't report directly up through EHS or HSE or, you know, the safety department. That That's one of their, you know, hats. Like operationally, right, these checklists, the people who are doing these checklists are doing it because it's part of our safety management program, but they're, you know, they're line workers, right? So they're supporting that. So how do you um, get people to understand to support the program when it's not directly impacted? One, um, which is great, that ISO 45001 has done is said that it's tied, you know, tie your programs to your overall corporate goals and objectives. So that kind of puts by default um, the safety program as, you know, in everybody's typical, you know, targets and objectives. That's one way. The best way, though, I, I have found and experienced, and we do a lot of workshops around this, is having, you know, looking at the person on that safety committee. What is their main job, right? And then trying to think of it, you know, essentially putting yourself in their shoes and think about what they worry about from a day-to-day -day basis. And then, you know, try to frame what we do from the, the safety side and why it's important to how it affects their their job, right? So, for instance, if I am a um, production manager um, at a facility and my biggest worry is getting product out the door, right? I've got to meet my target goals, which overall, you know, the sales goals, and that's what the plant manager is like, are you hitting your targets? Are you hitting your targets? And I don't have time to do this monthly inspection. Well, if you frame that to say, well, I understand, but did you under, you know, did you know, and there's lots of great statistics that you can go, and we do a lot um, in the Cordy blog to give these, did you know that, you know, employees who feel like they're part of a, um, a company that cares, that has a good safety program, right, there's less absenteeism, there's uh, increase in production. Well, how does absenteeism affect you know, my production, well, if you have somebody absent, then you've got either to, to put that another person that plays, whether it's a contractor or you've got to reallocate resources, so it does impact you. So there's all these costs to so frame the conversation, not that it's the right thing to do and, and why we do. Try to reframe it to how they'll connect that's important to them as well to their main outcomes, and they'll find time to do that. 30-minute um, inspection or, you know, hour inspection. Hopefully. Our last question. Uh, many agencies and regulators do not recognize ISO or formal management systems. Uh, regulators may just see violations and not improvement. Do you have any success stories related to regulator interactions or reduced fines? Oh, absolutely. Um, I'll give you one personally uh, where uh, back, I won't say how many decades, um, when I was managing waste and we had a uh, friendly regulatory visit um, related to some containers. And we had just put in a, a management system 
and we said, okay, let us show you something. And we sat down, even though they didn't recognize the system, we sat down and we showed, look, we saw this, we identified it three times, um, and we caught it ourselves. One was an NOV that was caught way before, which was why we put in the system. And we've caught it three times since. Here's the action plans. Here's the details of those action plans. Here's our inspections that we put in. So it showed a good faith effort um, that we were addressing it as much as possible. And then we asked, you know, are we, do you think these are the right corrective actions? Is there something else that you would like to see it do? And we asked that regulator, you know, what it was. So instead of getting another NOV, we got a warning. Um, and so weren't fined, which would have been a lot more because we'd already gotten a fine before. Uh, and then uh, when they came back for subsequent visits, they always asked to see um, our inspections and our actions and asked, you know, is there anything that they could input to it? So we actually kind of made them part of sort of the program. Oh, is this a good best practice? How are other companies doing it and making them feel part of it? So when even though they don't recognize it, if you show that consistency and ask for their input, I, I do have a personal story where that has avoided fines. All right, thank you everyone. Unfortunately, we've run out of time. I'm sorry we didn't get to everyone's questions, but all of today's unanswered questions will be forwarded to our speakers. Once again, I hope you take the time to fill out the evaluation survey on your screen to give us your feedback. That ends today's Safety and Health Magazine webcast. I'd like to, I would like to thank Malia Azar, Pamela Bobbitt, and everyone at Cordy, and of course all of our listeners. Have a safe day.